You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. NBA champion Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors and Senator Chris Murphy joined the Post to discuss the debate surrounding compensating student-athletes. Let's listen. Hey, everyone. I'm Jackie Alamandy, author of the Washington Post early morning newsletter, Power Up. Welcome to the Washington Post Live today. Later on in the program, we're going to have Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy join us. But first, I'm so pumped to introduce to you a three-time NBA champion, Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors, and maybe the best defensive player in the history of the NBA, but maybe we can debate that later. We're going to start us off with our super timely topic of compensating college athletes. Welcome to the Washington Post Live, Draymond. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Extremely excited to be here and obviously always uh, excited to cover this topic, uh, which I think you know, it's long overdue for some change. So I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and we're especially thrilled to have you on Equal Pay Day, no less. Um, but I, I just want to start off with you giving us a, a, an idea about, you know, where you're coming from here, sharing some of your story, your journey into professional sports and what your experience was like playing college ball. I know you've previously said that you struggled to make ends meet at some points. Uh, a lot of times struggled to make ends meet, um, you know, and coming from Saginaw, Michigan, uh, I mean, kind of a lower income household, uh, you know, blessed to get a scholarship and, you know, able to attend Michigan State and pursue my dreams and goals of not only getting a degree, but also one day making it to the NBA, uh, which I've been fortunate enough to do. Um, but there were many times throughout college where there were no gas money, uh, there were no food. Um, you know, getting getting up with my teammates and us all figuring out how to get food. Um, and, you know, thinking back on those days, I understand how tough it was. And, you know, we all know the way the world works, inflation and all these things take place. It's getting even harder for these students to feed themselves, to be able to get a nice pair of jeans if they want to, but yet they're bringing in billions of dollars to the NCAA. And so I, I think, you know, for, for me and my experience, um, you know, when I would get extra money, I would send, send money home to my mom, you know, and that wasn't extra money. Like I just had a bunch of money. That's, oh, I paid my rent. I paid my light bill, um, you know, off, off of my housing stipend. I got an extra 150 bucks, sent a hundred to my mom because I know she can't, she's struggling to keep the lights on, you know? And so, all of those things going to play. And, you know, one thing about, especially going to a school like Michigan State, you're always on national television. And what does people in their mind think when they see you on television? The first thing they think is money. They think you're very rich. And that isn't the case. And so in my position, and a lot of guys like myself, you kind of get thrusted into this position uh, within your family of supposed, supposedly the, the head of the family, the guy to make the decisions, the guy who everyone calls on. And it's that's not the case. Yet we're sitting in these one, two bedroom apartments with no money, with no food and trying to make ends meet. And for the amount of money that I brought to Michigan State, that I brought to the NCAA, that Zion Williamson brought to Duke and brought to the NCAA, it's, it's completely and utterly ridiculous. Yeah, and I, I probably should disclose, I actually played Division One college basketball so, you know, it's really no joke. I mean, it's a full-time job. And what you are describing is a ton of responsibility on top of that being a full-time job. And you've made the point previously that the coronavirus pandemic especially showed us that college sports is anything but amateur with 
student athletes putting their lives on the line during the pandemic to continue playing the sport that that we all love. Um, but you have now since endorsed Senator Murphy and Congresswoman Trahan's College Athlete Economic Freedom Act. It would allow college athletes to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Why should lawmakers get behind this? What, why did you get behind it? Um, I mean, well, uh, number one, um, like you said, it, it is 100% a full-time job. Uh, we are not allowed, I mean, essentially, unless it's the summertime, you don't really have the time to even get another job. And if I'm not mistaken, at, at some point, you weren't even allowed to have another job. And so, um, you know, that was ridiculous, just as the rest of it is. And so, you know, with Senator, Senator Murphy's uh, Freedom Act, you know, I wanted to get behind that because I understand the challenges that these student athletes face because I was once a student athlete. And like I said before, to watch, to sit back and watch them continue to be taken advantage of, you're a part of the issue. You know, if you're, if you know something's going wrong, it's like if you're watching a kid get bullied, if you're watching uh, a rapist take advantage of a young woman or a young man, and you don't say anything, you're just as guilty as that rapist. You're just as guilty if you're sitting and watching this issue can constantly go on year after year after year and you don't you don't step in, you don't say nothing. You have these lawmakers who have the power to say, we've watched this long, we we watched this modern day slavery take place long enough and it's time for change. And that is why I'm getting behind this Freedom Act. You're as big of a you're as big of the a problem as the NCAA is. And before we get into some of the opposing arguments, I, I think you make a really good point there that's often missed in the opinions that a lot of people have on this issue. That when we're looking it in the broader context, in the context of history, you know, you've said that this is an issue, this is a racial justice issue, the issue of compensating student athletes. Can you expound on that a little bit? Oh, well, it is 100 um, percent, you know, a, a racial justice issue, um, a racial justice issue. Excuse me. Um, when you look at uh, especially the makeup of the basketball landscape, it is a predominantly African-American based sport. Uh, when you look at basketball across across the United States, across college basketball um, and especially in the NBA. It is predominantly African Americans that are that are dominating the sport, and yet we continue to tell people, um, "We're we're hey, be satisfied. We're we're paying for your education." Which I know for sure. I donated money to Michigan State, and I know for a fact some of that money went to the education of a Michigan State student. And so, um, to for them to constantly say or continuously say. We're paying for your education. Be satisfied. That's enough. That's ridiculous. You know, no one knows who Mark Emmert is. If, if Mark Emmert walked, as, as, well, as much as I've been involved in the NCAA, if Mark Emmert walked past me right now, I wouldn't say, oh, man, that's Mark Emmert. But if uh, Jalen Suggs walked past me right now, I would 100% know that that's Jalen Suggs. And so, you know, we, we constantly, and, you know, we've had situations where um, a Christian Dawkins is trying to help these students and, you know, help these young black men and they're trying to send him to prison. Um, you know, 
you have these situations where uh, James Wiseman takes some help and after three games, he's deemed ineligible and can't play college basketball anymore. You know, and so when we constantly look at uh, what's going on and, and who's being punished over and over again, it is the African-American community that's taken on all of those punishments. And all we're asking is that you compensate us for the work that we're doing. And now, by the way, it's not just African-Americans being punished, so let me make that clear. Uh, the same rules that are punishing African-Americans are punishing every other ethnicity that decides to go into college um, amateur sports. But when you know you look at this pandemic, for instance, I think we all know the, the, the wealth gap, the disparity in the wealth gap, and how uh, a lot of African-American communities do not bring in the money that a uh, predominantly white community may bring in. Uh, African-Americans don't have the same rights to funding and don't, I mean, we can go across the board, yet the one route that you find out, which is basketball, and your talent makes someone a ton of money, you're not able to take advantage of. And I think, you know, at, at this rate, um, college college basketball, they're, they're, they're bringing in a couple to a few billion dollars a year and their employees are getting no money. And I think at, at this, it's, it's been time, but it's really time now when you look at where we are in the world, the climate of the, you know, the racial injustices, it's, it's time for this one to change as well. And I should note that college coaches on top of all of this are predominantly white male and are compensated pretty well. Um, but, you know, if we're looking at an issue that has really, I think, caught some momentum around the country, Evanston, Illinois, became the first city to pay reparations to Black residents this week. We see, again, this popping up uh, in conversations time and time again. Do you think that there should be some kind of reparation system set up by the NCAA to back pay players who have missed out on profits and opportunities uh, during the course of their college career? 1,000%. You know, when you look at the landscape of college athletics, see, I think one thing people don't realize is that there's a huge difference in, in college basketball and NBA basketball or professional basketball at any level, but especially the NBA. You know, you grow up wanting to make it to the NBA. I think that's a dream of all of ours growing up. When I say all of ours, I mean all basketball players. I don't just mean back, uh African-American black basketball players. I mean, basketball players as a whole. The goal is to make it to the NBA. What you don't quite understand is how different the NBA game is from the college game. And so you take a player like, let's say Tyler Hansborough, for instance, where, and I think Tyler Hansborough is such a great, um, a great example being that he's not an African-American male and yet was completely taken advantage of. Tyler Hansborough led the, led the all-time leader in, in the ACC for points, and which is incredible when you think of all the talent that's come out of the ACC conference. Had an okay NBA career, not great by any stretch of the imagination, but I think he may have played eight to nine years in the NBA. Pretty good, but... He never reached near the level that he was in college. And so when you look at that and say, 
man, that guy never reached the level that he was at North Carolina. But you think about all of the things that he's, he did at North Carolina. You think about all of the money that he made for North Carolina. I, I played in the Final Four in the National Championship against Tyler Hansborough. I know how Ford Field looked, um, how many people were filling those stands when Tyler Hansborough was on that floor against Michigan State. All of that money, and he, and he cannot profit at all? You know, that's ridiculous. You know, he's bringing in so much for the NCAA, so much for the uh, University of North, uh, North Carolina, so much for the ACC, but yet he's not able to profit. So then you watch him going to the NBA, and his career never truly becomes what we all thought that it would be. He probably would have made more money at North Carolina than he made in the NBA. But yet we're still living under these slave rules of, hey, well, no different than the slave. Well, I'm giving you a place over your head. Go out in the field and pick the cotton. Hey, I'm giving you, I'm giving you a scholarship. I'm giving you an apartment building. Now go out there and play and make me billions of dollars for my $100,000 investment. That is not coming from the NCAA. It's ridiculous. Even on, even on the flip side of that, players who rush the NBA for financial reasons because uh, you know they need the money, even though they could have used that development in college and the education, obviously. 100%. And, and you, you think about it. Listen, at, at, the, at 19, I didn't know the difference in how $10,000 spent and how a million dollars spent. At 19, I knew $10,000 was a lot of money and I knew a million dollars was a lot of money. I said that to say, if you gave me $10,000 at 19, I wouldn't be trying to sprint out of college to get to a million dollars because all I know and understand is that this $10,000 is doing me a lot of justice, is great for my life at this point, and I'm doing just fine. I don't need to rush and try to get the bigger bucks because I truly don't even understand what that means for me. The only thing I understand is that it's more money, but I don't understand what that means in the grand scheme of things. I don't understand what that means in, uh, for taxes. I don't understand what that means as far as agent fees. I don't understand what that means as far as my union dues go. And so you think of all of these things that you don't understand what it means. But the one thing you do understand is that $10,000 for you is a lot of money. And one day, yes, I can make a million, but right now this 10,000 is doing me justice. I'm fine. I can focus on what I need to focus on. You know, you, you think about a marriage. One of the main reasons marriages break up is for financial reasons. And so you, when you think about that from, from the standpoint of an athlete, how can you truly focus on the task at hand if, if, if finances is your number one issue that you can't seem to figure out? How can you give your all to any class that you're in, to any workout, to any practice, to any game that you're in, if you always have this dark cloud sitting over you? And somewhere in the back of your mind, you know that dark cloud shouldn't be there because you understand the amount of money that you and your teammates and, and your friends that go to another university is bringing to this organization that's not only refusing to pay, but they're refusing to let anyone else pay you as well. I mean, that's, it's, it's a shame. And, you know. Well, and I wanted to push a little bit on your opponent's arguments, though, which is that they're worried that this could bifurcate the system, you know, in, incentivize people to pick a different school potentially, or 
you know, as we see state legislation fomenting, send more people to California schools, for example, which has already passed legislation, um, or, you know, cause people to maybe drop out of school early because they've made money and, and now they just want to move on. What, what do you say to your opponents? I think when you speak on um, someone wanting to move on because they made money, um, when when they get the opportunity to move on because a job is paying them more money, they do. And no one is there to stop them. So why are you trying to stop us from moving on to make more money if we see fit? Because no one can stop you if you see fit. If, if you're all of us, if you're working for the NCAA and you're making, call it 120 grand, um, and some company comes by and they offer you 220 grand. You don't see an issue with you leaving your job, but it's an issue for me to leave college and pursue what could be a much better life for my family. Well, let's explore why that is. Why that is is because athletes are viewed as slaves. You're viewed as workers for them, unpaid workers, uncompensated. And so, that's why it's viewed that way. Well, we can't let them just go as they please, but we're free to do whatever we want to do with our life. I think that is utterly ridiculous. And it just goes to show, by the way, as many issues as we've been having with players being paid, you've had the O'Bannon, uh, you have, you've had the O'Bannon brothers sue, and you've had all these lawsuits and they continue to, to live by the same rules. I mean, that's quite frankly just a, a, for lack of a better term, that's, that's just do whatever I want to do because you guys need me. You need this platform to perform, to pursue your dreams. And not only do you need this platform to perform to, see your, to pursue your dreams, but this is also a route for some of you guys to get an education that you would not have because you are a byproduct of the system that has caused this huge wealth gap in between uh, African American and predominantly white communities, and so you deal with all the, you deal with all these things. But hey, here's a college here's here's the opportunity for a college degree for you to bring in hundreds of millions of dollars to our university, and we give you this this sheet of paper that in most instances now you need to go back to school and get another sheet of paper in order to get a job, you know, and so. Um, I think there, there, there would always be an argument um, from the other side. And the reality is those that are making those arguments, you are the oppressor. You are the biggest part of the issue because you, you fail to open your eyes to the abuse, the daily abuse, the monthly, the week, weekly, daily, I mean, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly abuse of this dictatorship. And at some point, the, everyone's eyes need to be open to this issue. And I think, you know, we're starting to, to move forward in it, but there's still a lot of changes that need to take place. And Draymond, we only have a few more minutes, so I'm just going to drill you rapid fire really quick. You need 60 votes in Congress if you want Murphy's, Senator Murphy's bill to get through. Are you planning on lobbying lawmakers directly in any way or creating an organization to further these advocacy efforts? I am uh, planning to do whatever is needed 
um, to help these young college athletes get their due. Um, as someone, like I said, who who has gone through it. And and by the way, not not only to help these young college athletes get their due, but also to help the former college athletes get their due as well. Because, I mean, quite frankly, I've been blessed to be in a position to where I'll be fine without. And, you know, so it's, I, I, I'm not fighting for me, but I am fighting for the guy who was a superstar at this top university yet is struggling to pay his bills today. But this university has every facility, nice facility known to man to recruit the next guy to come in. And yet this guy who gave blood, put all his blood, sweat and tears into this program and is a huge part of the reason that this facility stands here today for you to go recruit that next young man, he need to be paid just as much for what he's done for the, for the NCAA and for these colleges as our current athletes do, because it's it's been ridiculous. It was ridiculous 40 years ago, and if we stay at the rate we're, we're going now, it'll be ridiculous 40 years from now as well. And you've said previously that your good friend, Mr. LeBron James, you want him to run for president. Uh, if, he, if there was a future James administration, what position would you want to serve in it? Uh, what position would I want to serve in it? Um, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. I think, uh, you know, that's that's a little ways away from me. I, <laughs> I, right now, I'll just, I'll just support LeBron, <laughs> and I'll, I'll watch from the sideline and help where I can. <laughs> Any room for Kevin Durant in the administration, the, the hypothetical administration? Always. Always room for Kevin Durant and anything I want to be involved in, always. And, and you know what, just on the topic of equal payday, I can't let you go without asking you this. What do you have to say about the NCAA's inequitable treatment of men and women? You've seen, I'm sure, those viral videos of the women's weight rooms compared to the men's. What is going on there? Uh, well, I, I think that's no surprise. Um, you know, when you look at the, the, the landscape of the world, I think women are constantly um, taken advantage of. I think women are constantly overlooked. I think women are always a step behind just because you're a woman. As, you know, black people, you're always a step behind just because you're African-American. Um, and if you're an African-American woman, you're even more steps behind. The NCAA and the weight room disparity show their beliefs in that. And, you know, I think one thing that I've, I've read is why women aren't compensated at the same level as men, um, especially in sports. You know, you look at the disparity in um, LeBron James's salary and Diana Taurasi's salary, and you look at the disparity. And the one argument people make is, well, their sport don't bring don't don't generate the amount of money that our sport does or that the nba generates way more money than the wnba true that is true and so when i take a step back as a businessman and i say well that sport doesn't generate enough money. i can't pay them more because it just doesn't generate enough as a businessman i agree you can't but what I will say is, why isn't there more effort to 
promote their game? Why isn't there more effort to push the women's game forward? Because the NCAA, I mean, the NBA wasn't always what it is today. The NBA was once viewed as a failing organization as well. The, N- the NBA was also once viewed as a money pit as well. But there were people that believed in it, they got behind it, and they did everything they had to do to push our game forward. And so the question that I ask is, where are the believers in the women's game? Because as you say, they don't bring in enough money to pay them more. I agree 100%. Unless you're some tech startup out here in, in, in Silicon Valley, where you can lose hundreds of million dollars every year and your valuation go through the roof, no other businesses work like that. So I agree 100% that the WNBA does not bring in enough money to pay more. But my question is, where is everyone doing? What is everyone doing to push this game for? What is everyone doing to market these women? What are What is everyone doing to make their platforms even bigger? Where are the believers that say, just as the NBA w- was once viewed as a money pit, why can't we look at this money pit and, and do everything we can to push this game forward? Because as a fan of basketball, I love watching the WNBA. I learned so much from watching the WNBA from a fundamental standpoint. You want to learn basketball fundamentals, you go watch the women play. You want to learn fundamentals, don't watch the NBA because you won't see much fundamental. The NBA goes off athleticism. The WNBA goes off fundamentals. As someone who loved the all the little intricate parts of the game of basketball, the small details, as someone who tries to to take advantage of every little thing on the basketball court, I love watching the WNBA. So my question is, if your answer is, well, they don't bring in enough money, so business-wise that don't make sense, where is your effort to help push this game forward? Because I happen to believe in my mind that if there were enough people to to get behind this game and push it forward, their salaries will be raised because there is a market for them because they are amazing athletes. They are amazing basketball players. Their fundamentals are top-notch, better than your favorite NBA player. I guarantee you their footwork is better than your favorite NBA player. So if you love this game so much, why can't we I'm so sorry, I have to cut you off. We're out of time, even though I could go on for a while on this topic. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. I I really do appreciate it. I know you have practice later today, so thank you again. Next up, I'm going to be speaking with Senator Murphy about his recent legislation and his push to make college sports more fair and equitable. Please stay with us, guys. Hey everyone, if you're just joining us, we're discussing equity in college sports and the push to reform the NCAA. Who better to speak with than Senator Chris Murphy? He's joining us for this discussion. Senator Murphy, thanks so much for joining the Washington Post Live. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me t- uh, today. Appreciate it. Uh, so over the summer, you co-authored an op-ed with Draymond Green in which you laid out an argument for uh, the compensation of college athletes. The timing was critical. Why? Well, listen, first of all, Draymond's a hard act to follow. Um, you know, I can't speak uh, to this issue like he can, but uh, I am a huge fan of college sports. Um, I live in Connecticut. We obviously live and die with our basketball program. 
Um, and, uh, you know, as a fan of college sports, uh, I couldn't help but notice that over the course of the last you know, 10 to 15 years, um, uh, college sports has all of a sudden looked like a mirror image of professional sports. There's really, you know, not much difference in the, the quality of presentation or the quality of play between, you know, the top football programs uh, in the Power Five and the top football programs in the NFL, the guys that come out of the uh, college ranks are playing and are being stars immediately in the pros. Um, there's just as much money in the college game, sometimes more money. People are getting rich off the college game, the coaches, the athletic directors, the shoe company executives. The only thing that's different is that the players, the workers, the employees in the college game are poor as hell. These are kids who can't afford to you know, put food on the table for their family. Their parents can't afford to come watch them play in the NCAA tournament. It just seemed to me um, unjust that there was so much money being made in college sports, way more money today than just 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and these students were getting nothing. Um, it's time to share the wealth. Um, it's time to see this as the civil rights issue that it is. Uh, and I'm glad that Draymond and a lot of athletes, both at the college level and the pro level, are finally speaking up about this. And I'm pretty sure you're a Boston Celtics fan. So I'm wondering how you and Draymond teamed up on, on this issue. Well, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm a Celtics fan, uh, a Red Sox fan, but, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a basketball fan first and foremost. And I don't believe that, you know, uh, athletes have any obligation to just play. Um, you know, I love athletes that speak up and have the guts to speak uh, truth to power, and, and, and Draymond does that. UConn and Michigan State also had some pretty serious battles in the NCAA tournament uh, in the regular season as well. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we know how tough a competitor he is, but um, he knows um, how tough it is for college athletes um, when they're working 60 hours a week, um, they're expected to be athletes first, um, and academics come second. He also knows how hard it is for college athletes to, you know, be able to play their sport um, and provide for their family. You can't have outside employment when you're a college athlete, and yet um, a lot of these families are struggling to make ends meet. So um, he speaks from experience, and uh, that's why he's a real powerful, powerful advocate. And there are other bills out there that currently address the issues of name, image, likeness that include caveats that would allow the NCAA or schools control over those licensing structures. But I'm wondering how your bill that you just introduced, the College Athlete Economic Freedom Act that you authored with Congresswoman Trahan, uh, how that's different and, and how, how the legislation came together. So it is, as you probably talked about, there's, um, there's a forcing mechanism here on Congress. The states are passing laws allowing college athletes to do endorsement deals. Uh, I'm glad they are but they're conflicting. And so, you know, the theory of the case is that it's gonna be hard to run college sports if you have 50 different laws um, with 50 different sets of endorsement rights. Um, so I think Congress should probably step in and set a uniform standard, um, but there's sort of three ways to do that. One, you can give the NCAA the ability to sort of decide what endorsement deals are okay and which ones aren't. Second, you could allow a federal agency to do that, the FTC. Or third, as Representative Trahan and I propose, um, you can give students a pretty unqualified right. You can just let students be able to do whatever endorsement deals uh, they believe are in their economic best interest, just like every other student who has a marketable skill is able to do 
at any school in America. Why treat student athletes different than other um, high labor value uh, students uh, that they go to school alongside? So I just don't trust the NCAA to do it. I don't think they've shown that they are interested in putting students' interests first. I'm open to a federal agency doing it. That's what Senator Booker and Senator Blumenthal's bill does. Um, but in the end, I just think we'd be better off taking the reins off and letting these kids, you know, be able to do, you know, whatever endorsement deal comes uh, comes their way. You point out that there is a sense of urgency because states are passing legislation and the piecemeal effect would obviously be a, a bit confusing for the NCAA and various colleges to handle. Draymond told us he would go to bat for you on this legislation, lobbying Republicans. He told us he would do whatever it took to get this passed. But the Senate does not seem to be interested in passing much legislation right now. How are you going to get this through? Well, that's not true. We're passing legislation. We just passed a $1.9 trillion rescue plan. So uh, budget, listen. Through budget reconciliation, I have to note there's currently nine bills that the House has passed uh, that the Senate has yet to take up. And there seems to be very little appetite amongst Republicans to support any of those bills. So uh, that is true. We've been busy with nominations, but your point is well taken. Senate obviously proceeds more slowly. Um, here's the here's a couple things to say about that. One, um, this issue, I think, can get a, a more bipartisan agreement because um, it doesn't sort of fall on the same kind of political lines that other controversial issues do, like immigration or taxes. There are a lot of Republicans who look at this as an economic freedom issue. Um, who think it's kind of strange that the market is restrained in the way that it is. Um, a lot of Democrats may look at it more as a civil rights issue, but I, I've formed a working group a couple of years ago with Senator Romney and Senator Rubio and then Senator Perdue. And uh, we don't agree on a lot, but we were able to you know, start to explore common ground on this issue. And then second, you know, I, I sort of wonder how much urgency there is. Uh, I, I'm not afraid of some of these state laws becoming operational. And then we can test the theory that the sky is going to fall. Um, maybe the NCAA can figure out a way to deal with different endorsement rules state to state. If they can, then there might not be need for federal intervention. Um, time will tell. And I think we should just keep talking across the aisle to see if we can come to some common understanding. It might not be as hard as it is on other issues. What is your red line, though, for you know, calling to scrap the filibuster, the procedural maneuver um, that requires that requires now 10 uh, Republican votes to get any legislation passed. Um, is it NCAA legislation that would cause you to potentially come out in favor of completely eliminating it? Is it background checks? Is, th is there anything that would cause you to go further than the reform that you've already called for for uh, reforming the filibuster? Well, I, I don't think that it would be uh, NCAA reform. I, I think this is an important issue. To me, it's a civil rights issue. I, I will be honest, though, it's not on the top 10 list of the things that my constituents care about. Um, I, I, I think that these rules in the Senate are broken, and I've thought that for a long time. I'm very supportive of reform efforts. And, you know, frankly, my support for reform efforts is um, independent of any pieces of legislation that come before the Senate over the course of 2021. I just think that the filibuster is fundamentally anti-democratic. It makes it really hard for voters to hold us accountable. And, you know, going back to, you know, the first year that I showed up to the Senate, I've been supportive of reform. Um, again, I, I think we can come up with a compromise here that can get uh, 60 votes. I've had a lot of conversations with Republicans. Um, 
uh, I, um, I still remain optimistic about it, on, uh, about being able to get a bipartisan coalition, at least on this issue. Do you feel, though, that you're moving towards calling to join your colleagues in wanting to eliminate the filibuster? Well, maybe I haven't sort of sent out the press release uh, in the way that my colleagues have, because I've been a proponent of reforming the filibuster for a long time. So I I'm certainly going to be part of any uh, effort to reform the filibuster since I got here. I have believed that it is um, not in the best interests of the country to require um, a supermajority in either chamber to be able to pass uh, legislation. So still reform and not eliminate, just making note of that. Um, but the NTA. Yeah, no, I would. I, you're right. If you're asking for that distinction, I would start with uh, with reform. Um, I can certainly be persuaded uh, on the question of elimination, but I don't think it hurts to, you know, begin with uh, more incremental changes. And the NCAA talks a lot about guardrails when they're talking about changing their rules that would allow their athletes to be compensated. Do you? Uh, want to require any financial literacy courses or any sort of guardrails as a part of the change in policy? Well, whatever guardrails they're going to propose for student-athletes, they should be willing to apply to coaches as well. Um, I don't really understand why um, Nick Saban is able to go out and make millions of dollars off of athletic commercials with no uh, requirements for financial literacy. Um, uh, training and a different standard is applied to students. Um, I, I, I frankly you know, think that um, what the NCAA probably means by guardrails um, is a limitation uh, on the amount of money that students are able to, to uh, glean such that the lion's share can be reserved for coaches, boosters, um, athletic and college sports industry executives. And my worry is that the NCAA um, is not interested in sharing a serious share of the revenue with students. And so while they will talk about these guardrails in terms of student safety and student well-being, I just haven't seen a lot of evidence to suggest that that's their end goal. I worry that they will use these guardrails to simply limit the financial reward to students so that the reward can go to folks who right now are enjoying uh, most of uh, the upside. And you had briefly touched on the idea that you thought that the NCAA is no longer fit to oversee this process. They actually just blew a self-imposed deadline this past January to update their rules. They've been dragging their feet for years now, really. Who do you think is uh, best fit to oversee this? And, and do you think it's a responsibility that should ultimately be taken away from the NCAA? Um, I think the NCAA is in a very difficult position. They have very little power. Uh, and to the extent the NCAA doesn't act, it is not likely because individuals in the NCAA's leadership don't want to act. It's because they cannot form a consensus position amongst their members. But remember, the NCAA's members include tiny Division III schools, like the one that I went to, uh, and big Power Five schools. Uh, in football, the Power Five has essentially you know, taken the NCAA out of regulation setting by creating their own rules for uh, how they spend money and how they recruit athletes. Um, so I don't think the NCAA is in a position uh, right now to be able to achieve consensus. Uh, and as I said, you know, whether it be on students' financial rights, whether it be on addressing concussions in football, 
the NCA doesn't have a great record of standing up for students, uh, and so I would not trust them uh, to be the regulators of students' uh, compensation rights. Um, again, I'm open to uh, an organization like the FTC doing it, but I again would point out that the bill that, sent, that Representative Trahan and I have introduced um, really doesn't envision anybody regulating the right, um, just says we should trust students to be able to make these endorsement deals for themselves. If you are a um, great singer um, or artist and you go to college, you can do whatever endorsement deals you want. Nobody regulates those endorsement deals just because you're 18 or 19 years old. I'm not sure why we trust artists to be able to do endorsement deals um, or entrepreneurs who are in college, but we don't trust athletes. Sometimes I think that might have to do with the race uh, of the athletes um, versus the race of the students who are um, proficient in other skills at universities. And I, I asked this to Draymond, but I think it's worth hearing your answer on this as well, because I don't think it's something that people would intuitively, a conclusion that some people, perhaps white people, wouldn't come to themselves, which is, you know, the intersection of this um, issue of compensating student athletes and racial justice. How has that um, been a part of your calculus when writing this legislation? I don't think you can avoid the fact that the vast majority, 80, 90 percent of the adults who are getting rich off of college athletics are white men. And the majority of the workers, the individuals who are actually providing the labor on the court or on the field um, in the money making programs are African-American. Um, I, I, I think there is a civil rights element to this discussion. This idea that white adults are telling these African-American student athletes that they should just be okay with the scholarship and they should stop bothering people for more. Um, we don't do that in any other industry. We don't cap the wages of high talent employees or workers in any other industry besides this one. And I can't help but think that it has something to do with the fact that the haves financially in college sports are white and the have-nots financially in college sports are black. And what about the idea of having the NCAA provide reparations to students over the, the past few decades uh, since really the NCAA has you know, been an organization um, to those who have lost out on opportunities to, to make profits? Uh, Draymond said this was something that he thousand uh, percent supported. Is this something that you would support moving forward with? I don't know. I'll, I'll ask Draymond to make the case to me uh, as to how, uh, how that would work. Um, I can see how that would be pretty hard to implement, uh, hard to figure out, you know, where the NCAA would, you know, come up with the revenue to implement a system like that. So um, I haven't thought about it a lot. Uh, frankly, I think, you know, first you have to fix the problem for existing athletes uh, and future athletes. Uh, so let's tackle that question first. Um, once we've turned the corner and gotten some agreement on revenue sharing with existing athletes, um, then maybe we can talk about whether there's uh, room, ability, a mechanism to compensate uh, prior athletes. And my colleagues who were pouring through your bill noticed a provision in the legislation that ensures institutions provide equitable opportunity for name, image, and likeness across gender and sports. 
I'm sure you saw the video of the NCAA women's weight room. I'm wondering what you make of the situation. Yeah, I mean, it was heartbreaking, um, you know, to see, you know, how thoughtless the NCAA was. I mean, I'm not sure how they thought they were going to get away with that. Um, an entire weight room for male athletes and a weight rack for females. Um, this bill to allow this broad compensation, right, um, could be a absolute um, game changer for female athletes. And it's one of the reasons that Lori Trahan, as a former high-level college athlete, is such a big believer in this unregulated right of uh, endorsement um, deals for college athletes. For a lot of women, their highest potential earning years as athletes are in college because there aren't the professional opportunities, at least in the United States, for um, soccer, female soccer players or, or even female basketball players. Their ability to be able to um, sign endorsement deals with shoe companies or with summer camps while they're in college, um, that often is their best opportunity. Uh, in order to be able to reap a financial reward. I, of course, I think about the college athletes who play at the University of Connecticut. Um, if they were able to do unlimited endorsement rights, the women's players in UConn could probably make more money during their college career than they could as professional athletes. And I'm not sure why we've decided to restrict that right and limit the ability to make money off of um, you know, Paige Beckers or uh, any of her teammates to the coach uh, and to the uh, myriad of companies that are uh, advertising uh, at UConn's women's games. So yeah, this is definitely uh, a piece of legislation that will address the issue of gender equity in sports. And Senator Murphy, your staffers have just notified us that you are needed back on the Senate floor for votes. So we, we're gonna have to cut this short, but thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, appreciate your efforts. All right, great, thanks a lot. Thanks everyone for tuning in with us for the past hour. Please check back with the Washington Post Live again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern for a very special conversation with Academy Award nominated actor and screenwriter, Sasha Baron Cohen. Again, I'm Jackie Alemany. Thanks so much for watching the Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.